Hello and welcome to the Guernsey Finance Podcast, where we bring you developments from Guernsey's financial services industry. My name is Rosie Alsop. I'm Head of Communications here at Guernsey Finance. We are the agency that promotes the island of Guernsey's specialist financial services in its respective chosen markets under the brand We Are Guernsey. For those of you who aren't familiar with Guernsey, the island is a leading global finance centre of substance, stability and security committed to the cause of sustainable finance as a member of several United Nations environment initiatives and a jurisdiction that's proactive in developing sustainable products and services. On today's episode, we are whetting our appetite for the Guernsey Private Wealth Forum, which takes place on the 5th of October. We're especially delighted to be returning to London for the first time since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. The forum, which is titled The Power of Capital, will explore the good that wealth can do, which leads me neatly to introduce my guest today, Cherie Blair QC, uh, and she's also the keynote speaker at the forum. Cherie is a renowned barrister, an international human rights lawyer, a lecturer, writer and philanthropist. She's also the founder of the Cherie Blair Foundation for Women, which helps release the potential of women entrepreneurs in low and middle income countries and is working to close the global gender gap in entrepreneurship. Since the foundation's inception in 2008, its philanthropic work has directly supported more than 175,000 women across more than 100 countries. Welcome, Cherie, and thank you so much for joining us today ahead of the Guernsey Private Wealth Forum. Well, it's my pleasure to uh, to chat with you today, and uh, I've been to Guernsey myself, and I'm uh, very delighted that uh, I shall be participating in your first real-life conference after having had a year, 18 months of virtual ones. <laughs> Well, we're absolutely delighted to have you. Cherie, my first question for you is, what led you to establish the foundation? Well, as you say, the the aim of the foundation, which was established in 2008, is to work towards gender equality in entrepreneurship, working particularly with women in low and middle income countries, helping them to start businesses or to grow existing businesses by empowering them with access to knowledge, to network, to market, and to finance. Now, why, why, why you might say, why, why is Cherie interested in that? Well, my first point is, I am actually an entrepreneur myself, because as, uh, in, my, in my life as a barrister, you know, I am a self-employed professional. Now I have my own law firm, so again, uh, I have uh, I have a business of my own, um, and so I know myself how hard it is sometimes running a business, but also the potential uh, that having your own business and making your own choices uh, gives you. Particularly, I think uh, as a as a, a woman, um, I believe that a woman who has control over their own finances, like I did, has control over their own life. Um, and yet, time and time again, as I Uh, traveled with my husband when he was uh, British Prime Minister, I saw that across the world, there was an immense need uh, for women to actually have this training and support to be able to control their own money and set up their own businesses. And the reality is, as the World Economic Forum uh, Global Gender Gap report shows, that when it comes to economic 
opportunities between men and women, the gender gap is actually getting larger, not smaller. And so we really need to do something about that. And again, the other reason is, you know, I was brought up by two very strong women, my mother and my grandmother. Um, and I saw for myself, my mother having to struggle to uh, support my sister and myself when my father abandoned us when I was eight and she was left with no qualifications because she'd gone from um, home to uh, being an actress. So she had no other qualifications, um, just trying to find work and, and being taken seriously in the 60s as, 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 a, as a woman in area that she went into, which was the travel business. Um, she spent a lot of time seeing many young men that she trained being promoted over her. So I know um, that, you know, women need to have these opportunities and we need to help them be able to grasp it. Why? Because actually it's what works. Long term, if we can help women help themselves, then that's a smart, sustainable investment. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Um, tell me, why does the foundation's work focus on empowering women entrepreneurs in low or middle income countries to start and grow and sustain successful businesses? Well, it's, it's partly, of course, um, because there's a real need in low and middle income countries, not just in relation to the women themselves, but also into helping develop their economies. And um, we feel that we can make a real impact there. And I talked a bit about my own history. I came into the workplace in the late 1970s as a woman in the law at a time when there weren't that many women in the law, but when things were changing and there were opportunities developing. And, you know, I, I used to encounter people saying, well, you know, what, what's, why, are you, why are you a lawyer? It's not suitable for a woman. You know, you're going to get married and have kids. I talked a bit about my mum and my grandmother. You know, for them, the opportunities for women in our countries were much more limited. But the fact is, due to lots of changes in the law and the fact that more women came in and, 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 and we struggled and succeeded in, in, in gaining recognition that actually we could do things like the law or, or politics or accountancy or whatever it is, um, you know, we, made, we have made progress. Look, we're not there yet, but we have made progress. And then when I went to Downing Street and started to travel around the world, the Foreign Office, bless them, used to give me two things to do when we went on foreign trips. One was to meet the lawyers and the other was to see some projects with women. And I realized that the women I, were meet, I was meeting in these low and middle income countries were not in the fortunate position that I was as a, as a, as a QC in, in, in uh, the United Kingdom in, uh, you know, between 97 and 2007, uh, but were much more either in the sort of position I was back in the 70s or even like my mother and grandmother were in the generations uh, before. And I felt, look, we've made progress. And the women in these low and middle income countries don't need to wait as long as we did. We can help through what we know what, about what works and through technology to accelerate the process and help women um, really achieve their potential. And technology is very much the key um, to what we do because we have used technology both to be able to deliver programs to places where otherwise you might not have been able to reach and also to have a, a much wider uh, global community where women can help and sustain each other. 
you know, in some ways, empowering women is, is a pretty complicated process with a whole range of issues from education and the legal rights and healthcare and all sorts of other matters. And in another way, it's actually really simple. It's about empowering women, give them the tools to enable them to solve their problems in their way. So in other words, you know, helping them develop their own priorities because they more than anyone else know what works for them and their families and their countries. And so I still think, sadly, that uh, over 10 years on, believe me, in the global development world, the untapped market still remains the potential of women and particularly the potential of women entrepreneurs who can go on, not only support their families, but for many of our women entrepreneurs, go on and build businesses which allow other people's families also to thrive. And, you know, we are unashamedly not just about small little shops, but also about women who have bigger businesses. And I'll talk about some of them later. Um, that through their efforts and by helping them, there's a, there's a, a, a ripple effect, which means we're helping their employees, we're helping their suppliers, and therefore helping the development of their countries. I love that notion of women helping other women and, you know, sticking out a friendly arm and, and helping them up along the way. Um, can you explain what the foundation does and how it supports those women entrepreneurs? Absolutely. I mean, first of all, um, one of the things we do, and we're very keen because we now have, have worked for over 10 years, have a really quite a good idea and, and a good database of experience about what it is, what are the barriers that are holding women back. And so part of the work we do, and why I'm so delighted to talk about it, is uh, to advocate for how we can eliminate these barriers, but more importantly, to help the women we work with use their voices to tell. You know, rather, than, rather than me telling you about it, we very much work with them so that we can hear from the women um, themselves. I mentioned about technology, and we are so lucky I've always been very keen on technology. It enabled me as a young mum with three kids under five, and, and then later on as the wife of the prime minister still carrying on a full-time job, it enabled me to carry on my full-time job because I was able to use the internet and all its facilities to develop ways of working. And one of the big things about uh, using technology is enabled the foundation to reach over 100 different countries particularly with our cross-border mentoring program, because our mentoring program exists on the web and the mentoring relationship is uh, between, it's not in countries, it's between countries. And all of that takes place virtually. And therefore that means that through our local partners, we can identify women entrepreneurs who need a helping hand in their business and introduce them to willing mentors who we train. Uh, and able to sustain a relationship for a year to um, help women develop in their businesses. Um, and that's very important to me. We, are, we don't just have a helicopter in and out of countries. We work with local partners to implement our programs because we understand that the people locally are the ones that understand the market so much better than we do. What we bring is our expertise and our programs and by working with local partners, um, we can help build up their expertise and bring the programs uh, to a, a wider audience. And then and eventually our local partner will be able to maintain the knowledge and skills to carry on um, without us. Uh, and that, that's, that, again, is the idea. It's not my mission or our, our aim to set up 
offices in 100 different countries. They don't, we don't need to do that because we can work with people who are already there and help them deliver the services without having to have a huge, big, expensive organization of our own. So we have three flagship programs. I've mentioned our global online mentoring community. Um, and for those that for that program, um, we pair women entrepreneurs with mentors who are men and women. It's very important to me that men participate in this too. Not least so that women across the world can see that there are many men who are actually on their side. What's been amazing about the online relationship where they, it's about two hours a month, is how much, not just how much the mentees get out of it, but how much the mentors get out of it. Learning about what it's like to live and work in, a, in another country in being inspired by the, the way our women mentees rise above the, the, the problems, whether they're problems in the, in the business or problems about you know, trying to do a business in perhaps a, a place where the electricity is not, not reliable or the internet uh, less reliable or where you know, there is political unrest. All these things can happen. And our bespoke mentoring platform is there to facilitate that relationship and also to introduce our mentor and mentees into a wider community of everyone else who is on the mentoring program um, at the time. But that's mentoring. Uh, for that program, you have to speak English and you have to have access to, to the internet. So they tend to be women entrepreneurs who have, um, you know, not the smallest of businesses. At the other end of the scale, we have our Her Venture, which is a business skills app. And that is amazing in that it can, using an app that you download onto your mobile phone, we provide five, seven minute segments of skills learning aimed at women who, you know, are doing it while they're picking up their kids from school, you know, have a small shop or maybe a hairdresser who in between clients may have five to seven minutes and they can do uh, this online business skills program, which has little um, examples and also there's, there's a bit of gamification in it. And, and it's been enormously successful. And so far, we've had 41,000 women download and use our app. And the thing about the Her Venture app is that we have that designed that in the countries where we have it to be in the local languages. So you don't have to speak English for that. Um, and you don't have to have a very sophisticated business to, to benefit. And then in between, if you like, is our Road to Growth program, which is an intensive blended learning course, which is particularly focused on financial literacy and help women entrepreneurs build businesses which are ready for investment. And that is takes place both virtually and in person, and it's over three to six months. Uh, and again, we've had great uh, results from that, and I can tell you a little bit about them if you'd like. Oh, yes. Well, let me, let me give you an example. I talked about the Road to Growth pro program, uh, which we actually first did in Nigeria. And she, she took part in that program um, a couple of years ago when we, when we read it. And I actually went over and gave the certificates in those days and we could travel. And so I actually met Choma. Um, and she, we keep in touch. And she got in touch with us. I was just about six months ago now, to share some good news. She had won the Climate Change Award from Coca-Cola for her business. What's her business? It's a recycling business. She studied in England and she noticed how, you know, we have those recycling bins all over the place. Uh, when she came back to Lagos, she wanted to do something about, if any of you have ever visited Lagos, you know, it's not the cleanest of places. Um, and so she set up a recycling business and essentially 
encouraged people in Lagos to recycle in exchange for points, which they could then cash in for rewards. It could be a kettle, it could be a fridge. I mean, it depends how many and that they save up. So in less than two years since she took part in our program, which helped her really hone the idea and make it sustainable, she's created over 230 green jobs and is now recycling over 100,000 kilograms of waste in Lagos monthly, as a result of which the, the Lagos governor has recognized her uh, as, as someone who's improving the environment uh, and providing jobs for the people in Lagos. I'm very proud of Choma, and I know that her Coca-Cola award will not be her, her last. Uh, but let's talk about the mentoring program. We, again, I'm afraid it's another Nigerian example. We, uh, we have a lot of women we've helped in Nigeria. There's Ifoma, and she has a skincare business in Nigeria. And I like this because she worked with her mentor, and her mentor, Suba, was from India. Because when I say that the mentoring platform is uh, cross-country, not just people in the UK or in America or in Europe who can participate. It is literally all over the world. And in, in India, for example, we have both mentees and mentors um, who then uh, participate in the program. But Suba supported and helped Ifoma's funding application to MasterCard, who have a, a scheme to support women entrepreneurs. And at the end of 2020, she secured that funding, which has basically meant a long-term future for her business. And it helps her employ over 100 low-income women who are um, helping her in her skincare business. So again, this is what I'm saying about the, the ripple effect of helping a, a woman entrepreneur who has a business and has developed potential. And then... That's so I was going to say that's absolutely amazing. Um, and I, I love the fact that you can just, you know, call to mind all of these uh, fantastic success stories. Well, it makes it makes a great difference if you've actually met them, for sure. Yeah. And um, I was just going to say about our, our venture app. Uh, we recently introduced that in Kenya. And uh, one, of the, one of the people there is a woman called Wangari, and she has an organic soap manufacturing business. Um, and again, you know, it, she's credited our app to help her maintain that business through the pandemic. Because when the pandemic came, obviously because we do so much with technology, it was very easy for us to pivot to a remote working for our staff. But also uh, we realized pretty quickly that more and more women who previously have been selling face to face needed to know how to use e-commerce if they were going to survive. And so we launched an e-commerce platform. We launched a resilience uh, program on on the uh, Her Venture app, which actually helped women um, use e-commerce when perhaps they hadn't done it before and gave tips about how to stay relevant and visible uh, online. And uh, she, she wrote to us and said, you know, I, I wouldn't have survived without this help. And we're very excited because I mentioned Kenya, I've mentioned uh, Nigeria. We also have Her Venture in um, currently being used in Indonesia and in Vietnam, where we've had uh, also good success. And we've just introduced it in South Africa and we're about to launch in Guyana. You know, it, it's um, the, the possibilities for Her Venture are very, very strong. Um, and um, I'm very uh, proud of it because I think it shows how technology can help really make a difference and give women access to knowledge and support which they wouldn't otherwise have because the Venture app also allows you to contact other women using the app and form support networks that way as well. That sounds absolutely fascinating. It's, it's really great to hear about the different approaches 
that the foundation takes to provide really, really practical uh, support to women in, in, you know, in so many countries, more than 100 is, is phenomenal. Um, Cherie, can you tell me about the challenges that the COVID-19 pandemics presented to women and how the foundations supported um, all of those entrepreneurs to overcome those challenges? I imagine it's not been smooth sailing. Listen, I'm sure um, for, for, for you too. I mean, you know, fortunate women like ourselves have found it hard doing the double burden, juggling work with unpaid domestic labour and family care. And uh, we all know, though I don't have, well, I, I, I have a, my youngest son was still at university and he wasn't very happy about being stuck at home uh, doing <laughs> doing his doing his learning online um but i have some grandchildren as well so i know from my uh my own children's experience that homeschooling is not um it's hard of course uh-huh. yeah but you know that's <laughs> that's that's if you like um a first world problem <laughs> if you like yeah absolutely um, you know, across the world and particularly in low middle income countries the pandemic has actually put up rather than lower the barriers for women's economic participation and McKinsey did a recent report which shows that women's jobs are 90% more at risk during the pandemic than men's which is partly to do with the industries women tend to work in, it's partly to do with the fact that women often work part-time and part-time workers being the first uh, first to go. Um, so, um, you know, you lose your job or or the job isn't flexible enough to for, for, for enable you to fulfill your other obligations. Entrepreneurship can be the answer. But obviously, it's it's one thing to know how to make good jam or, you know, to have a skill to cut hair or, you know, even... Uh, to have a have a great business idea for an online business, it's another thing to know how to turn that idea into a business. Um, so many of the women that we, when we first work with them, think of, you know, I'm making ten. I, I say this as an example: you have ten bottles of jam a week. So if I make twenty, I'll double my money. But actually, unless you know how to balance the costs, work out the profit and loss, and your time, you may actually just make yourself tired and not actually. <laughs> make yourself any more profitable. And so business skills are something that do need to be taught. Uh, but the amazing thing is, as we found with our, particularly with something like the Her Venture app, once you point out to women these things, it's amazing where they will take up those ideas and run with them. Um, and for women entrepreneurs, you know, I'm afraid they are overwhelmingly concentrated in the smaller businesses, the smaller than the, 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 the male entrepreneurs. 83% of the women entrepreneurs in low and middle income countries that we surveyed who were using our services earlier in the year said that the pandemic had a negative impact on their businesses. And four in 10 of them were reporting that their businesses could have to close as a result. So we, we were very much responding to that in, into developing these programs about business resilience, and also about how you can pivot to use the internet, to use technology, even when perhaps in the past you hadn't been um, selling in that way. So we created open access resources on our website so that anyone could look at some of our resources, not just people who are on our programs. Uh, we worked with uh, King's College London and Cambridge Wireless to develop um, skills, uh, sort of emergency program for how to, how to deal with the business being impacted by, by COVID. I've said we added the e-commerce and digital marketing uh, material. And, um, you know, we are extending that now across all our programs. And it's not just, of course, help with the COVID pandemic, but, you know, also climate change. And, and who knows what the next crisis might be. 
So resilience and how to adapt, very important skills. So those programs, I think, are really useful for that. Absolutely. Now, in December 2018, the World Economic Forum predicted it's going to take 202 years to achieve economic equality between men and women. Now, it's interesting to know that you refined uh, your strategy or the foundation refined its strategy back in 2019 in order to address this. Can you tell me, Shri, a little bit more about the sort of changes that were made and why you made the decision to evolve the strategy? Oh, absolutely. Well, first of all, you know, oh, we were so naive in December 2018. I mean, I was out, I was outraged to think it was going to take 202 years. Yeah. Because I, re- I realized <laughs> by that time, being a grandmother as well, that wouldn't even be my granddaughter's lifetime. But you know what's happened in the last two years since then? It's actually got worse. Even worse. Even worse. So now, this year, just recently, the World Economic Forum now predicts it'll take 268 years. Uh, for in in economic grief, uh, so it's 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 got it's got worse. The last year before that, it was two hundred and fifty-two. I mean, none of these figures are acceptable. Um, and because of that, we developed our strategy, and the strategy was a three-year strategy starting in twenty twenty, and we launched in January twenty twenty at Davos, which is a great platform for us, our hundred thousands women campaign. And then, of course, COVID comes along. That doesn't mean. Um, that uh, we're not still engaged in that strategy, but obviously, you know, we we ourselves had to had to pivot. But our new strategy focuses on global advocacy, so we're actually looking more at the systemic barriers all women face, uh, and we're trying to. Uh, so, in other words, we're looking at wider context as well as supporting individual women entrepreneurs, and we're also trying to focus on securing multi-year funding in order that we can, if we if we only get you know, if you only have a program that you only funded for a year, you might just be making this progress when the funding runs out. So a sort of three-year program is much more uh, sustainable. And um, uh, I forgot to say that our 100,000 women campaign, the aim is for us to reach, because we've reached over, we've reached over 170,000 women so far, but we want to reach an further 100,000 women by the end of 2023. Uh, and our we have a target to raise £10 million to do that. I'm pleased to say that we have managed to keep on target, uh, even though we obviously were not able to do as much of our, implement as many of our fundraising plans as we would have been otherwise. And I'm very much hoping now that we are able to have things like this a real conference as opposed to a virtual conference, that we will be able to actively accelerate our fundraising uh, efforts. And uh, we certainly don't want to stop, by the way, in 2023, but we really want to expand our reach. So where do you see the foundation going uh, in, in the years to come? You said you're not going to you have no intention of stopping in 2023. What do you hope to achieve over the next, say, decade? Well, certainly to reach many hundreds of thousands of more women. But we have, for example, so how, how do we do that? One of the things we've done is uh, in our mentoring program, our mentoring program in the past has always been something that we've, we've offered really through companies. And for many companies who partnered with us, they have liked the mentoring program as part of their staff development, enabling their staff to, to use perhaps skills that they haven't used. You know, we specialize so much in modern businesses that it allows them to stretch themselves. Um, many of the businesses we work with are international businesses uh, and they have offices in many countries and 
I know people like Marsha McLennan, for example, said to me they love our program because it's the only one that they can offer to every single one of their offices around the world on an equal basis because it's on the web. You know, you can you can participate whether you're in Honolulu or Hanoi. <laughs> that makes a big difference. So traditionally, the way we funded our program was by corporate uh, coming to us and, and supporting and sponsoring places for their staff. But we now, now actually open the possibility that individuals can actually self-fund their own place, um, either individual mentees or individual mentors. Uh, and that's pr- actually proved very popular uh, with many mentors, for example, being very happy um, to sponsor themselves on the program because of the development, their own personal development, because of the mentoring and listening skills that we teach them, and also because of the amazing opportunity to work, walk side by side with a woman entrepreneur. I think one of our mentees described her mentor as the invisible friend who walks beside me on my business journey. And we've also just uh, launched a scholarship fund, which will um, support women entrepreneurs who participated in our uh, program to enable them to become mentors as well. So that uh, as well, they, they give forward, they, they give back uh, as well as many people giving forward as well. Um, we want to absolutely see a positive change for women entrepreneurs because we know we will not achieve the UN Sustainable Development Goals, particularly number five, gender equality, and number eight, decent work and economic growth, if we're not harnessing the skills and talent of 50% of the population of the world, which is women. (laughs) Absolutely. Now, as I mentioned in the introduction uh, at the start of the podcast, we are thrilled to have you at our Private Wealth Forum. Uh, the title this year is The Power of Capital, and the and the key theme is moral capital. So um, you are our keynote speaker at that event, and then there's also going to be panel members uh, debating the intersection of philanthropic activity, ESG, and sustainable investing. And I'm, I'm interested interested to know your thoughts on this. Um, Cherie, can you tell me how you see the role of philanthropy changing over the next decade or so um, and how it can operate in harmony with the growing ESG and sustainable investing space, if at all? Oh, I think it absolutely can. And actually, I think one of the interesting things and philanthropy has definitely driven that is an increasing acknowledgement that there is a role for so many actors in in the development world it's it's not it's not simply governments or large organizations uh, you know handing out handouts to people but a much better way of solving long-term problems and having lasting change is actually to help people help themselves so that they identify the problems that need solving and we give them the tools to enable them to solve it themselves rather than just sort of sticking plaster approach which is aid it's all about you know the hand up rather than the handout and i think uh philanthropy has played a big part in that and also the growing realization you mentioned the esg that you know businesses have a role to play in this and that actually often business skills and and and, and business priorities if you like um, can be used in the philanthropy and in the development sector as well. And, uh, you know, I think that means that this is not just a, a uniform field, but it's really a multifaceted field where different actors, NGOs, governments, businesses, philanthropists, all 
contribute and all bring slightly different emphasis, but focusing particularly on helping people help themselves because we have to allow people to set their own agendas. And we, to do that, we need to ensure that we're making most of their talent. That's a very good point. Now, earlier this year, Guernsey's financial services regulator announced a change to the island's code of corporate governance so that from the 1st of October, boards will be required to consider the impact on their strategy and risk profile on climate change and, where appropriate, make climate change related disclosures. So in Guernsey, we believe we're doing well in this area, but we're all aware there's always more to be done. As a lawyer whose practice specialises in advising businesses as well as human rights, what's your view of corporate responsibility with regard to ESG? Well, I'm absolutely, as you've probably gathered, very much in favour of the ESG environmental, social and governance space. And of course, um, as a lawyer, I would say, you know, lots of people have thought, this is a nice thing to do. But I have to say as a lawyer that it's also becoming a necessity in order to comply with uh, not just pressure from um, investors or the public, but also pressure from governments too. And uh, as you say, Guernsey is an example of that, but Guernsey is no, no doubt very much influenced by the fact that um, the European Union, for example, is has changed some of its directives in relation to how we, you have to report not just about financial sustainability, but also about environmental impacts and how they're looking in as well to requiring companies who trade in the European Union also to uh, look into the wider S and G aspects of uh, ESG. You know, whether that comes from modern slavery or whether it comes from looking at the supply chains and or whether it's simply your impact on the community and, and the environment. These things aren't just going to be nice things to do. They're going to be things that you're going to be compelled to do with penalties if you don't uh, get involved with them. So I, I've been very lucky to, to uh, participate in some of these forums and talk to businesses about how they engage in that. Because I feel it's very important that we hear from businesses about what works because if businesses don't participate in discussion then other people are going to set an agenda that isn't actually going to be achievable because it's not actually practical. And so I've been very pleased to see over the last few years, businesses, business organisations um, really participating in the discussion about how do we ensure sustainability in business practices. And so, uh, you know, I'm very glad to see Guernsey being participating in what is essentially a movement now all over the world, from Australia looking into it to California, where they, they first had their slide chain legislation to, as I say, the European Union. Uh, even China has started to uh, quite what the motives are for, for China suddenly turning around and telling its businessmen that they that they have to give a lot of money away is perhaps debatable. <laughs> Nevertheless, they are using this to say we are expecting businesses to show that they are good corporate citizens. So uh, giving back sustainability, these are long-term benefits, both socially and economically, for companies and for the world. It really is great to see those sorts of conversations becoming uh, commonplace, I think. My final question, I can't believe we're almost at the end of this. My final question for you today, Cherie, is what do you think individuals and organisations can do to support women entrepreneurs? Well, I think, as I said, the overriding philosophy has to be this is not about giving women a handout. 
or even a hand up. It's actually about putting power into their hands so they make the choices. You know, so that's it has to be philanthropy. It has to be centered on the needs of the recipients and it has to also allow the recipients to voices to be heard in shaping their agenda. Uh, now, obviously, one way I would say you can help is by joining our 100,000 Women campaign because that aim of £10 million is, is still there. We've, 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 we're, we're on our way. We met our target at this halfway point, but nevertheless, we still have a, a lot of money to uh, uh, to raise in order to reach these 100,000 women. And I'm determined that we're going to do it as well. I'd also love anyone who's listening to this to think about why not become a mentor? Just everybody who's participated in the mentoring program has said how transformative it is to their own view of themselves, as well as to what help they give uh, to the women entrepreneurs. And I've mentioned how now, you know, you can actually sponsor yourself or even better get your company uh, to sponsor so that number of your colleagues can also help. And uh, we're opening our mentoring application now for becoming a mentor starting in November. So there will still be training uh, you have to go through. And then in November, you will be matched with a woman entrepreneur and uh, have a, hopefully a life-changing relationship for both of you. There's more information about that on our website. And um, we absolutely believe in partnership. We always want to work with other organizations who are focusing on women's economic empowerment, both uh, in our country and across the world. Um, and we take pride in working closely with organizations to design projects that harness their expertise and enable us to provide the right sort of support for the women that we're working with. So um, I think no one organization can do this on its own. And more than ever, we need cooperation. We're going to meet those sustainable development goals. Absolutely. It's, we've all got to pull together. Well, that's all we have time for today. I would like to extend a heartfelt thanks to uh, my guest today, Cherie Blair, for a fascinating conversation. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to share um, your story and the story of the Cherie Blair Foundation for Women and the amazing work that it's done to date. We're looking forward to following all the work that uh, you and the foundation continue to do. Um, I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. And if you're keen to follow this conversation, uh, Cherie will be talking more about it and her philanthropic work at the Guernsey Private Wealth Forum 2021, which takes place at Banking Hall in London on the 5th of October. If you can't attend in person, you can follow up the event and see it on demand at our website at weareguernsey.com. We've got a catalogue of interviews and panel discussions on the We Are Guernsey podcast channel, and you can discover why we're a leading centre of green and sustainable finance via our sister podcast, the Guernsey Green Finance Podcast, which was recently rated in the top 10 green podcasts of the world by the Green Finance Guide. And you can check out both of those by searching for them wherever you get your podcasts. To find out more about Guernsey and its financial services sector, visit weareguernsey.com where you'll find everything from the latest news to informative literature and our on-demand section. We'd also love to hear your feedback. It's great to know what you think. Get in touch with us on Twitter at We Are Guernsey. We also have links to Sheree and the Sheree Blair Foundation for Women social media in our show notes. So check those out to hear more from them. 
That's all for now. We'll be back soon with another edition of the We Are Guernsey podcast. For now, it's goodbye from Guernsey.